Good morning. I'm Angela Davis, and you're listening to NPR News. Thanks for joining us today. Election Day is just a few days away. It's coming up on Tuesday, November 7th. And this year, Minnesota is among the latest states to expand voting access to people who've served time in prison for felonies. In February, the state legislature passed what they call the Restore the Vote Bill. A new law took effect on June 1st. Here's what's changed. For years, state law prohibited anyone convicted of a felony from voting until they served out their full sentence, even if they had been released from prison. The new law restores the voting rights of Minnesotans who are no longer incarcerated, but are serving out the final months or years of their sentence through probation or supervised release. Now they can register and vote immediately upon release from prison. About 55,000 Minnesotans are affected. Now, over the last few years, we've seen a a rather few months, we've seen a statewide effort to get these newly eligible voters registered so they can cast their ballots on Tuesday. This hour, we're going to talk about all of that. We're going to talk about restored voting rights in more detail. It is the latest in a series of conversations we've been having about the upcoming elections. Two weeks ago on this program, we looked at school board races and why they've become so contentious. Last week, we talked about city council seats and the power of the people who hold those positions in local government. And if you miss those conversations, you can still listen to them on the podcast. Just search for NPR News with Angela Davis. Now, in a few minutes, you will hear from a state legislator who authored the Restore the Vote bill and a Minnesota man who served time in prison for a felony and after his release started an organization that helps formerly incarcerated people reenter their communities. We'll also take your phone calls. But first, to get us started, I have NPR Politics Editor Brian Bax with me in the studio. Good morning, Brian. Hey, Angela. Hi. So, Brian, you have been following this issue, reported on it for us. Let's go back to February when the Restore the Vote bill passed. Explain to us again what the law does and and who it affects. Yeah, this is an issue that's been bouncing around at the state capitol for more than a decade. And in February, the legislature finally got it over the hill. And what it does, as you explained, is anybody who has a felony conviction will automatically be restored to the ability to vote upon leaving incarceration, or even if they never went to prison, but were on probation or or some other measure related to their sentence. In the past, you had to have all of that uh, taken care of before you could vote again. And so the estimates are that there's about 55,000 people. We don't know for sure, because there could be others who who uh, might have federal sentences, and those people might have also been implicated by this. So there's a lot of folks who might be able to vote but the question is whether they will vote. So in the past, I mean, it's possible to be on probation or supervised release for many years. And so these were the folks who could not vote prior to this new law. That's right. You know, Minnesota had had some of the longest probation periods around. And so there were people who would come up to the Capitol and said they had a drug conviction. They, they maybe spent uh, several months in a county jail, but they had decades of probation hanging over them and they were not allowed to vote until they, they had satisfied that. That all changed when this law passed. And again, a national movement. Other states have made the same move. Sure. There's about 21 states, and, and that's been a growing number. And there are states that, that are more Republican-leaning. There are states that are Democratic-leaning. So this hasn't been necessarily a partisan matter. The execution of this has been different in different places. You know, some places have required payment of fines or or other uh, levels of uh, of clearance before someone could vote. 
So the legislature passed this a, a very close vote. It was. What was the debate like during the legislative session? You were there. What were supporters in, in both chambers saying? And what were the concerns of those who, who didn't want the law changed? Yeah. And the debate has evolved over the years. You know, the, the, there, there were a lot of people who who were sympathetic to the movement, even if they voted against it. But they said that they wanted perhaps limits on the types of crimes that that were covered. So, so maybe not everybody with a felony, maybe people with violent felonies wouldn't be included, or maybe people with election-related crimes wouldn't have been included. Mm-hmm. But the, the law was kept pretty much just a, a blanket uh, if you had a felony and that that you weren't in prison, you could vote. Uh, the, the supporters were saying that that folks uh, are part of society. They're 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 paying taxes. They have kids in school, so they should have a say in who serves on their school boards and and who serves in their city councils and so forth. And so that was kind of the argument that had been made that that if you want people to f- to feel like they're invited back into society, you've got to give them this this major element of being part of society. So even though the law passed, uh, we've seen some legal challenges, including as recently as, as last week, uh, to this law that is restoring the voting rights. Uh, can you tell us about the latest challenge in Anoka County? Sure. And, and just before I came on, I checked to see if a judge had ruled because there was arguments on Monday in a case where a conservative group said that this law was improperly passed. It says that the legislature didn't have the authority to do it. Of course, back in February, the, the state Supreme Court ruled that it was potentially up to the legislature. The, the Supreme Court passed on the ability to to take care of this on its own and said, this is a legislative matter. The, our, the case in Anoka County uh, dealt with whether all civil rights would be restored, and that's things like gun ownership and, and, and the like. And the, the state attorney general's office argued that, that the legislature did, in fact, uh, re- restore civil rights because not only can you vote, but you can run for office if you're able to vote. So there are multiple things that come with the ability to vote. Now, over the last uh, few months, as I, I mentioned, there's been this effort. It's the next step now to get the word out to people affected by this new law and to get them to register to vote so they can exercise the right on election day. So how is that going? What have you heard? Yeah, there's, there's been quite the concerted effort, whether it be uh, groups that, that help get the law passed, whether it be uh, formerly incarcerated people who are working with their peers to get the word out, or even in the case of the Secretary of State going into state prisons to talk to folks who are who are on the cusp of release to tell them, once you get out, we're going to give you this voting registration form fill it out. That and happened? The, that I, I was I was in the Stillwater prison with Secretary of State Simon in August, and he sat with a group of about two dozen uh, uh, people who were, who were about a few months from getting out and just basically saying, this is, this is, we're giving you this golden opportunity to have a voice in your society. Please take it. And so, Brian, as a journalist who's covered politics uh, in Minnesota for some time, how would you describe the the impact of having more people exercise their right to vote, and not just um, you know this November, but also next year during the presidential election in twenty twenty four? Well, yeah, and, and that's an important thing you said there is that that this is an off year election, so the, the turnout generally among all mm-hmm. types of voters is probably going to be quite uh, quite low compared to what we'll see next year, and so activists are using this as an opportunity to kind of, you know, as a runway to because they want to build habits. A lot of people mm-hmm. vote out of habit. Folks who, who know are, your polling place, know what the ballot's going to look like. I mean, it's, exactly. It's and folks who, who haven't been voting because they were barred from voting might not have those habits. So they're, they're really working to instill that. And they're, they're trying to tell them that 
maybe there is a reason to vote. When when I was with Secretary of State Simon in, in that prison, there were some folks who were uh, down on their government and maybe didn't want to participate. And they were he was trying to make the case to them as here's why you should participate. But the one thing that's important to put in context is this is the largest enfranchisement we've seen in Minnesota since the 1970s when the voting age was lowered to 18. So this is a big deal. The number of people who are being pulled in back into the to the electoral process is a lot. Again, the question is how many will will use that new opportunity. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, this is part of why we're talking about it today. Brian, thank you for your time. Uh, NPR's our, our politics editor. Uh, thank you. And I'll let you get back to your work. All right. Thanks, Angela. All right. Well, as we talk about Election Day, which is, again, I'm going to remind you, coming up on Tuesday, November 7th, uh, and restoring voting rights to people with felony records, uh, doing it sooner. I want to hear from you, too. Our phone lines are open this hour, as they always are during the nine o'clock hour. And I want to know, are you someone who has a felony conviction and lost your right to vote? What's your reaction to this change in state law? Or maybe, you know, do you have a friend or a family member who lost their right to vote? How have you seen this affect them? Give us a call. Join the conversation. You can call us at 651-227-6000. Again, the number is 651-227-6000. Or you can call us at 800-242-2828. I have two more guests joining me now to tell us more about the change in state law. State Representative Cedric Frazier is here. Uh, Representative Frazier is a DFLer from New Hope. Now in his second term, he is the vice chair of the People. People of Color and Indigenous Caucus, and he authored the Restore the Vote legislation in the Minnesota House. Good morning, Representative Frazier. Good morning, Andrew. Thanks for having me. Thanks for making time for us. And also in the studio with us is Antonio Williams. He is the founder of Tone Up, an organization that helps formerly incarcerated people reintegrate back into their communities. Hi, Antonio. Welcome back to the program. Hi, Angela. Thank you for having me. You were a guest several months ago when we talked about the Minnesota Prison Writing workshop, and you shared how that program helped you when you were incarcerated. So thank you for returning as a guest today. So Representative Frazier, uh, let's start with you. We just heard from my colleague, Brian uh, Bass. Uh, We heard him describe the new law. You played a key role in getting it passed. Why was this so important to you? I mean, I think Brian had some some important points. For for many folks, um, having the ability to use their voice in our democracy is is a vital foundational thing that connects them to the community. Um, for years in this state, we've had individuals that go into our incarcerated state, and in the state of Minnesota, most people over ninety percent are coming back into the community at some point. But when they get back into the community, the, the one thing, the vital thing that connects them to our democracy and to our community is the ability to have your voice heard in your community. And they did not have the ability to elect the folks to represent them, that they to elect people that they looked at and said, hey, that person represents my values, represents my views, and I want to see them represent me. And they didn't have that right. And in some cases, weren't there people who were um, sentenced but never actually did time in jail or prison? Uh, they just had, you know, probation or supervised release. They, too, lost the right to vote. That's correct. For some folks that were that were just convicted um, and they in the sentencing was probation, they never did time, uh, never served time in prison, but they lost their ability to vote. And so as you've interacted uh, with people in in communities, uh, people who uh, very much wanted you to represent them and their concerns, what are some of the stories that people told you about what it was like when they could not vote after they were released? Well, oftentimes, you know, and many, many representatives and and electors that have knocked on doors uh, will will can tell you the same story. They'll get to a door. They're talking to someone and that individual will say, well, I'm not going to vote. 
And oftentimes we're, we're, we're into persuasion mode just to get them out, not knowing what their situation is. And, hey, here's why it's important to vote. Um, you get to choose who represents you. You get to be a part of the voice and use your voice in your democracy. And then sheepishly, individual oftentimes will look down, look away and say, I can't vote. And we say, why not? And they say, I can't vote because I'm a felon. And and you could see the the kind of pain there and and the regret there um, um, that that is that is in them and expressed in that situation, and and oftentimes and also one of the reasons Brian talked about this in terms of making it just a clear no no strings attached to it no carve outs is some individuals that had been convicted felons may have been off of probation and off of parole and they still believe because they were convicted felon they did not have the ability to vote so they were not taking that opportunity or have their voices heard. So it is important uh, now that the law is passed to spread the word and let people know. Absolutely. Right. Uh, tell me about the reaction after all of this became official when the bill became law. I remember seeing uh, photos and um, in, in the media of it was a celebratory moment. Yeah. yeah, it was a celebration. It's been a long time coming. I often tell people um, I played a, a small part. Um, I was the anchor leg of a of a marathon race that was going on probably for about 20 years. It started with um, now Attorney General Keith Ellison when he was in the state house he carried this bill uh now senate president bobby joe champion he carried this bill former state representative ray dean carried this bill many people have carried this bill and we were at a moment and i was at a moment and proud and happy to be in a moment where we'd able to get it across the finish line and get people their voices back in our democracy and as we also um know there is still a legal challenge there have been other legal challenges um what do you make of that uh the persistence in challenging like does the state legislature have the authority to do this i think i think it's very clear and brian mentioned this uh, from the supreme court right before we passed the bill their decision came down and it explicitly said that this is up to the state legislature to decide when individuals get their civil rights back um, and we did that so i think that that law is pretty clear i don't think this case has any merit i think the main goal of the case is to make people fierce fearful but i know antonio and other folks in the coalition that are out making that connection are getting people informed and getting them signed up and registered to vote and letting them know that it is safe. You have your right back. You have your voice back in our democracy. Antonio, uh, let's get to your personal story. Uh, you've been out of prison now for about three years. Is yeah, that right? A little over three years. Yeah. Um, after serving nearly 14 years for a felony conviction, without the new law, uh, you would not have regained voting eligibility until 2025. Um, so tell us, why is this a big deal to you having your voting rights restored two years earlier? Yeah. Um, so for me, um, I understand why it's important, you know, now. So as as I before, I didn't understand why participating in my democracy was so important, how the different laws impacted my life um, and the life of people who I loved um, coming home and knowing these things and having this awareness. I can't sit back and not utilize my voice um, now that it's been restored. Right. Um, and I can't also not help other people uh, utilize their voice. Um, we all understand that that we're dealing with things in our society, in our communities. Um, some of these things, only those of us who have in, in endured incarceration can, can really relate to. Um, and some of these things can find a remedy through a vote, through a policy change, through getting the right person in office who's going to really champion our, our cause. Um, and I know that intimately now to be true, having worked so closely with some of our electeds um, and seeing that they're real human beings. And some of them really mean what they say. And they're in here fighting for us. Uh, you're still a young man. I think you're in your 30s. I am. Right. So uh, so part of, uh, you know, 
of, of this is that you still have many more years of living and contributing to your community. So where does voting fall in all of that? Yeah, I mean, I look at myself as a, a lifelong voter now. Um, I will be be voting until I, uh, you know, go somewhere else. Uh, but I think this is just another tool in my belt as someone who is a lifelong change maker, a lifelong freedom fighter. Um, this is another tool, another weapon that will allow me to get closer to the vision of a free world, an equitable world for my daughter, for her kids when she has them, um, and for all the other people that share this planet with us. When you were behind bars, was that even something you thought about, that the fact that you wouldn't be able to vote for, for many years when you got out? Absolutely. Um, you know, it, it it played a part in like how I thought about where, you know, my career would take me or what I was going to do in life. I wanted to be a writer and I, I, I turned out to be a writer mm-hmm. of some sorts. Um, but you start thinking about the boxes that you are automatically in and the, the boxes that you can't go in because of the things that you have attached to you. Um, and it feels limiting to some degree. Um, for me, I just I was like, I'm going to do what I need to do regardless. And, and it's helping people, giving back, making sure no one walks the path that I, I walked, endured the things that I had to endure. Um, and a part of that is educating people. A part of that is utilizing my voice, my vote, being an example um, that I want to you know, see in the world. So we've mentioned 55,000. That's the estimate, uh, the number of Minnesotans affected by this change in state law. Uh Next year, 2024, presidential election. Yeah. So this is very significant for you. Had you had to wait to 2025, you wouldn't be able to cast your vote for president. So Absolutely. how have you been thinking about that? Um, I've been thinking about it a lot, um, a lot more now um, because I have to get super educated on all of the different policies and all of, of the different records <laughs> that the voting. Yes. So because I want to be an informed voter. Um, I don't want to just do what I've seen, which is, you know, the the personality politics. And I, w- I want to be an informed voter and I want the people who I'm encouraging to vote to be an informed voter. And I have to model that. If you're just joining us, we're talking about restoring voting rights to people who've served time in prison for felonies to Minnesotans. Are you someone who has had a felony conviction and lost your right to vote? And what's your reaction to this change in state law here in Minnesota that restores voting rights sooner? If you have a friend or family member who lost their right to vote, how have you seen this affect them? I want to hear from you. Call us. The number is 651-227-6000, or you can call us at 800-242-2828. My guest in the studio, Representative Cedric Frazier, as well as Antonio Williams, is who is someone who will be uh, voting he had just had his voting rights restored after serving time in prison. Uh, let's go to Elk River and uh, talk with Barbara, who is on the line. And again, the number to call, 651-227-6000 or 800-242-2828. Uh, Barbara, go ahead. Thank you for calling in. What do you want to tell us? Um, I'm very uh, heartened by this trend of allowing uh, uh, released felons to vote, and I'm hoping in the future it will evolve allowing people who are presently incarcerated to vote as well. And why is that? And you said you're, you're heartened by this. Why is this important to you? Why do you think this is a good thing, Barbara? Tell us. I think the more people that vote, the more representative our government is. Mm-hmm. And so um, you feel particularly, I guess, maybe with the presidential election, you want to see as many people vote as possible? Yes. 
Mm-hmm. All right, that's Barbara there in Elk River. Representative Frazier, one of the people who supports this. And what do you hear in her comments there? Uh, Barbara, thank you for calling in. I, I, I think I appreciate the fact that you're hardened by this. And I also appreciate the fact that you brought up the idea of folks not actually losing access to the franchise, even if they are incarcerated. Um, during a debate, that question did come up. I actually asked one of my colleagues on the other side of the aisle if they'd like to offer an amendment. I would have accepted it on the point and added it to the bill. Um, there are a few states that don't um, take away folks' ability to have access to the franchise when they are incarcerated. There and are states that this is not even an issue. Because what is the connection? Right. Yeah. Or it's seen as a form of punishment, another form of punishment. Right. Right. It seems another form of punishment. But but what I say is and I think what Barbara said here is those folks have a unique perspective that many folks may not have. Right. They can talk about how they're impacted. They can they have a perspective on how they're impacted by our criminal justice system. They can also talk about what's happening within our institutions that are incarcerating them and what needs to be changed there. We had some issues here this past summer um, with the way the environments are in some of those institutions. And I think it's vitally important that we listen to those voices. I mean, we have we have representatives and legislators that live in uh, and live in represent districts that have those institutions in place. And I would say many of those representatives don't represent the voices of those individuals that are in those institutions. Mm. And what are, what are your thoughts, Antonio? In some states, this isn't even an issue. You can continue to vote, even if you are serving time in prison for a felony. Absolutely. Uh, you know, I, I, again, what's the correlation um, is, is my thoughts around it. it. When you're in prison, you're paying taxes still. People don't know that. Um, you're doing all of the things that you would actually do when you're free as far as financially. Your as family, a citizen. As a citizen, right? So why do we lose the right to pick representation? Why does that make sense to to use that as a form of punishment, as a means to rehabilitation? Mm. Right. (laughs) It doesn't make sense. Um, So like I'm heartened that people are actually tuning in and they're saying, right, it makes sense for our democracy to be truly representative of all the people and to allow people to have their vote back is to allow our democracy to return to a state of fullness. We're talking about restoring voting rights to Minnesotans with felony convictions. A new state law makes it possible now uh, sooner than later. Give us a call, 651-227-6000 or 800-242-2828 as we talk about this. Uh, Representative Frazier, I read something in the research about this. Um, One analysis by the nonprofit Marshall Project, uh, which studies criminal justice trends, found that fewer than a quarter Fewer than a quarter, fewer than 25 percent of newly eligible voters with felony records actually registered for the following presidential election. This is far lower than registration rates for other voters. So when we look to the past, even though people regained the right to vote, they didn't exercise the right. Right. What do you make of that? I I think it's like a muscle, right? And and you have to exercise that muscle um, to get it stronger. And also you have to create this, this habit. And make it a norm that you're participating in democracy in a form of going out to um, exercise and cash, cast your vote. I think having folks like Antonio out there explaining the importance of uh, being engaged in voting and how it can make an impact and change um, the way that your life is in your community is very important. Because I think for there are many people out there who have lost hope in government. 
and lost hope in what the government can do for them. And I'm one that I always say that the government should do good for people and the government can do good for people. And so getting that message out and getting people engaged is an important part. Um, Passing a bill was a hard part, but getting engaged with folks and making sure that 55,000 people that we've got this restored um, right for, they actually get out there and get engaged and vote. Hmm. So, Antonio, um, what what goes through your mind when you hear that, that as we look at, at years past, even though, you know, when people had their rights restored, they still didn't, many of them didn't vote? Yeah. You know, to me, that's um, indicative of several things, but one of them being like the access. How are we allowing access to our people uh, returning back to the democracy. What does access look like, right? It, it, it looks like we need to address some of the barriers that prevent people from showing up to a polling place, that prevent people to showing up to a political education workshop or space to learn about why voting is important now that you have it back, right? Um, and I think it also shows us that I think the way we're welcoming our people back into this democracy is is transactional and it has been transactional for a very long time. These people have never been talked to by politicians up until the point that they had their their vote restored. Right. So what we're seeing is people who said, you never cared about me before. Like this all seems like some type of thing to help you, not me. Right. And so the way and, the, and these are the things that I hear from people on the ground. These are the things that I myself had to wrestle with being one of those people. Right. Um, and if we are truly, sincerely trying to activate these people, then we must really look at what it means to give them access, real access. You have to address the barriers that they're facing. They, they don't care about voting right away when they come home. They care about a place to stay. They care about clothes on their back. They care about being a father and a mother again. And they need resources to do that. So I think that's what I hear more than just, oh, they just didn't care about voting. We're going to take another phone call as we talk about restoring voting rights to Minnesotans with felony convictions. Uh, In St. Paul, we've got Tina on the line. Good morning, Tina. What did you want to tell us? Yes, good morning. Um, I am a former felon, and I just have to say that this is so critical. I apologize for the background noise. Um, this is so critical. It, I think sometimes we've put so much power into the presidential vote. And unfortunately, we overlook the power that we have in city council, in county, county electives, in state government, the power that is obviously visible in the law that was just passed that enabled former felons to vote. And that happened through the state. That didn't, that didn't happen through the president. And if we don't take the time and the effort and the energy to vote, then we're giving away our power. We're giving away our power and our ability to use our voice. And I think sometimes as someone that's convicted of a felony or a misdemeanor, we feel like we're, we don't have any value to add to the world. We don't have anything to give. But that is so false. That is so false. Um, I just want to say that everyone is a human, regardless of their background, and use this time to vote. Use your power. Make sure that it aligns with your beliefs and value systems, because city councils, state representatives, they have the power to make the changes that you may want. And if you don't take a stand to vote, you could enable someone that's in power that doesn't align with your community doesn't align with your values. So don't wait. Mm-hmm. 
Thank you. That's Tina in St. Paul. Um, Antonio, you served, uh, again, nearly 14 years uh, in prison for a murder accessory conviction. I want to know more about the time uh, that you served and, and just that, that mindset. I mean, she talks about feeling as though you have no value and then um, trying to, to reclaim your power. And so when you came out, you started a nonprofit called Tone Up. So that helps other people with reentry. And so what has this process been like for you to go through this mindset of um, I'm being punished for a crime I committed, but now I still have the rest of my life to live? Right, right. No, thank you for that. And I want to thank Tina. Uh, um, I would love to have you on our team. That message was so perfect. Um, but yeah, so my time was was difficult. It was difficult because I chose not to accept uh, the stripping of my dignity as a part of my punishment. Um, and so what I did was I got active. Um, I was publishing news articles and stories about things that I experienced, things that I witnessed, um, corruptions and all of that um, through the Minnesota Spokesman Recorder. Um, but the things that were on my mind as I was in there, I was thinking about I just saw George Floyd brutally murdered um, on my prison television. Um, I'm dealing with racist COs uh, on a daily. Correctional officers. Correctional officers. Um, We're in the middle of a pandemic. And the things going through my head is like, what am I coming home to? Um, What am I getting out to? What is freedom actually going to look like? You know, and it was it was scary. It was a lot of anxiety. But I also knew that I spent my time building and working and creating and I had something to offer. And, you know, I came and I jumped right into everything that I wanted to jump into. My soul told me I needed to jump into. Um, I mean, literally my first week out, I got off the bus and walked into a guns down love up rally. Um, and like it's been that from there. Um, and tone up was a a way for me to express, um, the help that I wanted, the help that I needed, um, the help that I seen others need. I wanted to create it because I knew there wasn't anyone else coming to create it for us. Let's take a phone call from a listener in Minneapolis. Nicole is on the phone. Hi, Nicole. Thank you for waiting. What did you want to tell us? Hi. Yeah, I just wanted to share my experience with this topic. Um, I was a felon for 11 years, and I didn't feel a sense of, um, I guess, diminishment of my dignity. But what I did feel in that being restricted to vote or take part in politics on that side of it, it felt more of an intentional convenience for um, the judicial system. Once I, as a standard person, became part of the um, criminal justice system, I was in it. I was involved in it on a very intimate level, and therefore I was very much turned on to the people and the people that are making um, decisions that sway policies and laws. And therefore, because of my connection with the system, I had an opinion. And it was very convenient for me to not be able to vote or take part in the debates with the power of my vote, um, being that I was so intimately connected to it. 
So it, I don't think it's a passive, like, oh, it's a punishment for people who are criminals to not be able to vote. I don't, I think that, I think it's more an assertive convenience to take, the, to use that as an excuse to not allow those people to vote because they are more plugged in than your average person that may not have a connection with the judicial system. They're not feeling it in the same way. They're not involved in it. And so I find it interesting to kind of flip the topic a little bit more and ask, you know, who benefits from people who are felons to not allow their, your, their, their vote. And Nicole, are you planning to vote next week? Yes, definitely. Right. I no longer am a felon, and I vote every election. All right. Thank Off sessions, on sessions, yeah, I, I definitely do that. But you're, you're on the it. concept that who benefits when we don't get to vote? Those people Thank who are you. criminals, who's benefiting from that? And that's an interesting mm-hmm. um Thank you, Nicole. Uh, Representative Frazier, let's talk about this effort to get people to register and vote. H- how are state lawmakers getting the word out? Like, what's being done? And, and how are these, you know, uh, events, you know, what are you doing? Yeah, so as a state lawmaker, what I'm doing, I'm putting out in my uh, weekly updates, monthly updates, um, informing folks. Um, I'm going out in the community events, informing individuals that we've done this and we've given people their rights back to vote. Um, but the, the real the coalition, which um, Antonio is a part of, um, it's a broad coalition of folks from around the state that are going out on a weekly, daily basis, having these conversations with individuals, finding individuals that they know of that need to have this information provided to them so they know that they have their uh, right to vote back. And on the Secretary of State side, um, he's changed everything on the website. So it, it informs folks that they have the right to vote. And also from the through the DOC, once individuals are upon their release, they have to be informed that they have this right back um, to be able to exercise the right to vote. But that's a website, or maybe we're talking about an email or something that comes in the mail. Um, so that's only going to reach a certain number of people. Antonio, what are you doing? Yeah, yeah. I think also just to touch on what Nicole was saying, mm-hmm. I think what she was saying was those closest to the pain being closest to the solution, being mm-hmm. closest to the decision making. Right. Um, but so what we're doing um, is we're out here knocking doors. We're out here calling people. We have um, we were able to work with people and get a list um, to, you know, that was very targeted. Um, so we kind of sure on who our people are as we're knocking doors, as we're calling folks. Um, and we're leading from not from the politics side to engage our people right away. We're not. What do you say? So we're not coming out saying, hey, you voting? We're coming out. Hey, how are you doing? How are you today? Are there things you need? We're tone up. Here's what we do. Are you in need of any of those things? Then we get into, by the way, did you hear about this new law that probably impacts you or someone you know? Have they heard about it? A lot of them have. Mm-hmm. We're finding a lot of people are now. They're, 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 so Cedric's it's, doing it's his job. Out. It's He's getting out. He's doing his job. Um, We're all doing our job. Yes. It, and this, and that, to to that point, it is a concerted effort. It is it is a coalition? It is an ecosystem, and everyone is doing their thing. I am so um, honored to be a part of this whole movement. But being so close to it, like actually every day, knocking doors, calling, engaging folks, like in the support from the community is overwhelming. Really? Um, we get thanked almost every call, every door we knock on. Because, again, we're moving it in a different way. We're not doing transactional work here. We're actually following up with people. We're having coffee with folks. 
We're sitting down having lunch with some of these folks and taking the time to invest that knowledge in them so they can be informed. We're not trying to quickly persuade someone and move on to the next person and say, yes, as long as you vote, we're done with you. You did what we asked you to do. We want you to be brought into this community of reenfranchised folks and the democracy as a whole and society as a whole. And to do that, we can't just come in when it's an ask around registering to vote, voting. We need to make sure you're good as a person. Let's take another phone call in St. Paul. Bethany's on the phone. Bethany, thank you for holding. What do you want to tell us as we talk about restoring voting rights? Great. Hi, Hi, Antonio. Bethany. Um, I have been an election judge for over 20 years. And on our side, I mean, I'm an election judge because I believe in democracy Mm -hmm. and I believe in people's rights to vote. And as an election judge with the restrictions on people who have felonies on their records, it was really hard to be a judge and have some difficult conversations, have people be scrutinized in a different way, have people be uncomfortable coming into a polling place, not sure if their rights were restored to vote. Mm -hmm. And this, I go into Tuesday, and it was really, really empowering at our recent election judge retraining to just know that if that person's in front of you, they can vote, and we don't need to get into the weeds, and we don't need to ask questions, and we don't need to go through any of this process, and we can just open the door to those who are our citizens and eligible to vote and make their voice heard. And I am really, really empowered and excited about this change. So, Bethany, do you think on Tuesday we're going to see many of these 55,000 Minnesotans who are now eligible to vote? Are we going to see them, do you think, at polling places? I hope so, but I also don't need to know. Like, I don't need to know that the person in front of me has a felony on their record or this person Mm-hmm. If, they're, if they're registered to vote, I, I hope that we just see good participation in our democracy. And I hope that the scrutiny and the, the ostracizing of people um, is reduced now so that we get to this point that everyone feels comfortable. I do think it's going to take years. I can mm-hmm. talk to Antonio about this more, about what we can do. Because if you've been left out of a system, it takes a lot to get welcomed back into that system. Mm -hmm. Those of us who've been able to vote for years and have never had our voting rights questioned, we don't go into a polling place um, with any fear or trepidation. We go in with confidence, and um, I just hope that this change can help um, empower those 55,000 or whomever to come in and vote. Thank you, Bethany, and thank you for the work that you do uh, at polling places as an election judge. Uh, let's go to Maryland, where we have a, a listener calling in. Uh, this is Robert calling in from College Park, Maryland. Hi, Robert. Hello. Thank you for taking my call. Uh, so I, um, I'm actually a criminology professor here at the University of Maryland, and I have been studying this issue for quite a bit of time, but I'm also from Minnesota, so that's why I'm listening to NPR. Um, and uh you know, one of the points I wanted to make was, you know, someone there was a conversation earlier about engagement or actual voter participation. Um, and as I said, I've been surveying people with felony records on the national and state level here for the last couple of years. And one of the things that we found is what political scientists have, have kind of identified as a distinction between passive engagement like uh, uh, versus active participation. And we're finding that people with felony records are no less engaged in terms of paying attention to campaigns, caring about what's going on in the government, having, you know, strong views on policy, the disconnect is between the participation piece. We're actually going out and actively uh, voting. And so I think in terms of, like, I want to just applaud the work that that uh, Mr. Williams is doing um, and, and, and others out there because it's an opportunity. Uh, it's, it's, not, it's not because people aren't interested. It's because 
perhaps when all of your experiences with the government are filtered through your experiences with the justice system, you may not want to be actively engaged, mm-hmm. right? And that makes a lot of sense. And so for uh, people like Mr. Williams and their organization and, and, and others to kind of try to break down that, that wall, that barrier, I think is pretty, pretty valuable. Um, and then just one other quick point I wanted to make about uh, there often is a lot of resistance to these types of reforms, um, and there has been historically in Minnesota, and it's been largely partisan, because there's an assumption, I believe a popular assumption, that the people that we're talking about here are going to be you know, uh, uh, very disproportionately or overwhelmingly supportive of Democratic candidates or Democratic uh, you know, causes. And I think that that is uh, very much a misconception. Um, you know, the last 15, 20 years in Minnesota in particular, there's been a lot of polarization, rural versus, uh, uh, rural versus urban and that type of thing. Um, and I, and what we're finding is when we're asking people how they, you know, how they identify politically or, uh, in terms of partisanship, who they supported in the last couple of elections, that type of thing, mm-hmm. we're not finding this evidence that there's overwhelming support for democratic candidates. We're right. actually finding that the things that predict what people, what we, you know, the other things, the demographics, the geography, those things are much stronger predictors. Um, and so in Minnesota, where 65 or so percent of people with felony records live outside of Hennepin and Ramsey County, you would expect that there would actually be a pretty even dispersion uh, in terms of like partisan impact. Okay, Robert. So the uh, Robert, a native Minnesotan who is a criminology professor now at the University of Maryland in College Park. Thank you, Robert. Um, says he's doing research on this topic right now. And, and, and Antonio, people in prison, do you find that the folks that you spent time with uh, actively following like what's going on uh, with politics and following uh, issues very closely? There have been bets and fights over <laughs> politics inside of prisons uh, forever. Like, yes, we are conscious, a lot more conscious than uh, the world would like people to believe um, we are in there. And so, yes, we did we pay attention? Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. And Representative Fraser, do you think it is valuable to have people like Robert studying this, researching this and identifying, you know, fact from fi- fiction and trends that they're seeing? Oh, absolutely. And, and just I just want to add to that point that Antonio said, you know, I, I absolutely believe that folks when they're incarcerated, that they're still paying attention to what's happening on the outside. I think the problem often is, and particularly for policymakers, we tend to forget about those folks that are inside. And they often take the time if I get invited to go out to those to out to the prisons and I let folks know we haven't forgot about you. And we're trying to make sure we create a smooth runway for you to come back into the community. But I think the work that um, Robert is doing is vital because that is what I believe the, the presumptive idea is that, well, Democrats only want to push this forward because it's going to help them get more votes. I never thought that. I still don't believe that. Um, Robert was right when he said many of these folks don't live in a metro where you tend to see a bigger concentration of Democratic voters. Um, these folks are all over the state. They have all types of views, all types of perspectives and lived experiences. And I intend them to vote accordingly. And Antonio, um, we talked about Tone Up, um, the organization that you started um, that works with people who have been incarcerated, reenter their communities. But uh, when I interviewed you on my show back in May, we talked about a program in prisons across the state that encourages inmates uh, to write, people incarcerated to write. Volunteers go in, teach writing classes. Tell us again about uh, this this writing um, program and what it did for you. Yeah. So um, MPWW. Minnesota Prison Writers Workshop um, 
saved my life. Uh, it was a program of volunteers, professional writers um, founded by Jennifer Bowen. Um, and they came in and volunteered their time to teach us how to write, to teach us who had maybe some raw talent to hone it into a skill and learn how to process um our environment, process our situation, process our trauma, you know, and connect with other people. Um, we had a great reading uh, on the 28th, um, packed full of people, um, full of recently returning citizens. Um, and we had a great, great night full of literature and and power in a room full of people who, you know, found hope through writing, through literature, um, and through that beautiful program of MPWW. And and are you still involved with the program? Do you go back and, and, and do some teaching or what's your involvement today? Well, um <laughs> MPWW is Tone Up's fiscal sponsor, so we are um, connected. Connected <laughs> at the at the hip, um, but yes, I read every year um, with MPWW, um, and there's some things there's some things coming soon. And uh, Representative Fraser, in just the last minute we have uh, left here, what do you want people to know, um, everyone to know about registering to vote? Because you can register at your polling place on election day. That's right. In Minnesota, we we try to make it as easy as possible for people to, for people to participate in our democracy. So find your polling place. Um, you can do that online. You can connect with folks like Antonio and the organizations that they're working with. But make sure on your voting day, show up. And, and particularly on these off cycles, show up for your city council races, show up for your school board races. The, the elected officials that are closest to you have the biggest impact on your life. So make sure you get out there and vote for people that have your values. All right. And Antonio, any closing thoughts before yes. our time is up? Yes. From the block to the ballot, we are out here. This is the campaign. We're coming from the cell block to the ballot. We're encouraging everyone to get out and vote. You can join us on toneup.org and get involved to phone bank or door knock with us. Come out and let's change lives. All right. I want to thank our guests uh, today and uh, our listeners who called in as we talked about restoring voting rights. Again, Election Day coming up on Tuesday, November 7th. Remember to vote. And also remember that NPR News is here to help you out. Our staff is tracking some of the local elections and answering questions for voters statewide. You can find more coverage on school board and municipal elections on our website, nprnews.org. My guest today, Antonio Williams, the founder of Tone Up, an organization that helps formerly incarcerated people re-enter their communities. And State Representative Cedric Frazier, a DFLer from New Hope. He authored the Restore the Vote legislation in the Minnesota House. And earlier we heard from NPR's politics editor, Brian Bags. Thanks, everybody. This conversation was produced by Matt Alvarez. We'll talk again soon. Thanks for listening to a recording of my live radio show on NPR News. A reminder that if you want to catch my show in real time, tune in and call in weekdays at 9 a.m.